and welcome to episode 15 of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah. So it is March 1st, 2018. It's 9.34 a.m. My roommates are all gone, and I've been thinking about some stuff. So last night I got wine drunk <laughs> and um, talked shit about some movies and got on with my friend Emily and complained about how shitty my life is. That's not the best way to put how that went, but it's a good sort of quick summary. Anyway, I have been kind of thinking about just how far I've come since August. So um, something that I've been wanting to do for a little bit is just go over uh, when I first realized I was trans, I actually started a, a Tumblr blog where I posted just some of my thoughts working through my BS, I guess. And I just wanted to, I've been wanting to sort of review this for posterity in the show because I stopped updating this pretty much immediately. I think I posted five or six lengthy-ish things. So I'm going to read bits and pieces of some of these. One of them includes a poem that I it, uh, I wrote a long time ago. I think it was, I guess it was actually like two years ago, maybe three years ago at this point, that um, has a lot to do with my body issues. And we'll get to that. But that's going to be very trigger warning heavy. <laughs> uh, but we'll, I'll, I'll warn you when we get to that point. So my first post on this blog is on August 14th, 2017, and the title of it is Hello, I Think I Am Transgender. A few days ago, I had the epiphany that I'm probably transgender. It wasn't an out-of-the-blue sort of thing. It's been a thought in the back of my mind for a very long time, and I'm sure I'll talk about the long, dumb road that brought me to this realization sooner or later. I've been hashing out my thoughts on this over on Twitter. While I've been low-key on the fence for a long time, the process kicked into a new gear when YouTuber ContraPoints released her video Gender Dysphoria the movie. Contra's actually been a big part of this recent process as her open willingness to fuck around with gender performance has helped me normalize the idea. The release of that video happened to coincide with me releasing a video about the Bechdel test, and my dissatisfaction with that video was put into sharp relief by how amazing Contra's video was. But it also got me thinking, which I alluded to by saying, it expresses things I've been feeling. How expressive. Now I'm going to go, I have links to all of these Twitter threads that I talk about, so I'm just curious to see what I said. So this is... Oh, this is in July. So this is the 21st of July. Uh, yeah, so the first post in this thread is, I sure made a dumb choice uploading my Bechtel test video the same day ContraPoints releases a fucking masterpiece. Just on a basic level, it's beautifully executed, deeply personal, funny, and depressing, but it also expresses things I've been feeling. And not just emotions, there are many images I directly planned to put in a short film later this year. It's funny that I just finished catching up on Twin Peaks, and this felt like another episode of that in my sleepless stupor, which I think is a testament to the craft that went into making this video. It would not be out of place at a film festival. Jeez. I was really trying to get ContraPoints to pay attention to me. Oh boy. And of course, like everything, it comes back to fucking Twin Peaks. I can't let it die. I can't not talk about it. 
Speaking of which, I have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash Let's Talk About Stuff. I've got a big series coming out that might, the first episode might be out by the time this episode goes up. Oh boy. Oh, that's frightening. Anyway, I've, I'm working on a five-part video essay series about Twin Peaks, and you should check it out because I've put a lot of time and effort and money into getting this thing off the ground. Anyway, about an hour later, I went into more detail talking about the disgust I feel with my body. Here, I was still dancing around what was really on my mind. So here's that thread. It's probably shitty of me to make Contra's video about me in any way, but the timing of it just fucking kills me, in parentheses, not in a bad way. I don't know how you, how that works. It just fucking kills me, but like in a good way. Oh, this is also on the 21st of July. I tried to experiment with my Bechdel test video, and Contra's dysphoria film made all my experimentation feel inadequate. I was up all night editing because I didn't know what to do with this video, and Contra expressed a lot of what's been fucking me up. Feeling disgusted at the hair in my body, feeling my age, wishing I had a different body, and the whole time thinking, what's the fucking point of doing YouTube when my depression hobbles me at every turn, but Contra's vid inspires me to try harder and do better. And so, I guess I'll explain a little bit about the Bechdel test video. I actually went back and rewatched it recently, and I, it, it's not as bad as I remember. I enjoy a lot of my voiceover. That was sort of... I relaunched my YouTube channel in, I guess it would have been March, maybe April, maybe June <laughs> of 2017. My YouTube channel's been around for a long time, and I would occasionally upload a video essay or two on there, but I finally decided that that's what I, like, I really wanted to focus on it and start turning shit out because it was always a thing in the back of my mind, like, I really want to, you know, do video essays as, as like, a thing. But, you know, I'll do it later. I'll, I'll do it later. I'm not good enough yet. I don't know enough yet. And I finally decided I'm just going to I'm just going to do it. And so a lot of that was spurred on by the sort of parallel discovery of H-Bomber guy, ContraPoints, Lindsay Ellis and Dan Olson. The four of them to me are sort of the the new wave of the video essay world. And they very much inspired me to start doing that again uh, more regularly and like start my Patreon and all of that. So by July, I'd done several videos that were about media. So I did a video on American Gods. I did a video about an African film called Black Girl. Did a video about comparing the fight scenes in Preacher with Iron Fist and a couple others. But... I was wanting to try going more into like the social justice criticism YouTube thing, because that's what I love about H Bomber guy at the time. Everything he was doing was like responding to right wing wing nuts. So at the time, there was a pair of think pieces that were going around criticizing the Bechdel tests and saying like the Bechdel test is the sign of everything that's wrong with blah, blah, blah. It's bullshit. It was a dumb argument. And doing the video in the first place, especially knowing what I know now about how the right works on the internet, I guess it was kind of not a great choice, I guess, but I, really just wanted to do it and it was an easier 
target than something more uh, vague, I guess, because the Bechdel test relates back to movies, which is something that I am, I don't want to say an expert on, but I am a film student, so I know more than probably average. So I was able to comment on that with some level of authority that I wouldn't be able to comment about when it comes to like race. So I made that video and I think it's really funny. The first half of it, I think is very funny. I played around with voices a lot and the editing in that I think is really good. But at that point I was running into a big problem where I didn't know how to incorporate video when I'm making videos about TV shows I'll just cut to footage from whatever it is that I'm I'm talking about. But when talking about the Bechdel test, I ran into a big issue of like, wh- how, how do I, what do I, wh- what's the video portion of this video? Because the audio is good. And when I'm talking about direct quotes, I can just show like what I'm quoting. But what about just all of the time when I'm not talking about stuff like that? So I came up with, I have this gigantic folder of footage that I've gotten from my uh, Blackmagic pocket cinema camera. Uh, I've had it now for five, maybe six years. I don't do this as much as, as anymore, but I used to carry it around with me all the time and just get random images. I've always, I've always been someone who gets distracted by weird symmetries in the world. And I want to capture them so having that i just like would grab footage all the time uh with no knowledge of where or how to use them it's like with photos you take pictures and like you know okay you have a picture and you can just show a picture but when it comes to like the same concept but with video it's a little bit more nebulous how how to display it if at all so I just have this giant backlog of all these different like videos that I've taken over the years. And I decided to try to use that as the video portion of the Bechdel test video. So I had this series of videos that I took uh, with a bonfire in my backyard. And then another series of videos that I took when it was raining really hard. So my thought with that was I was going to use fire as an indication of sort of not truth but honesty and then it would fade into the rain whenever it was starting to get more like sarcastic and intellectually dishonest like whenever or hypocritical whatever that person was saying and i uh, i experimented with like panning in and out and adding um, animated elements to it. And I think some of it works. I think some of it very much doesn't. And overall, like what I said about how depression seems to be like hobbling my, yeah, this tweet, um, what's the fucking point of doing YouTube when my depression hobbles me at every turn? And I still kind of feel that a lot of the time, this sort of desire to really experiment, but also this challenge in how to do that it it takes a lot of effort and for me i have i have major depression i have bipolar disorder i have adhd i'm transgender and not on hormones so it's just a whole thing you know 
I have a lot working against me when it comes to doing this stuff. So I, ha- I don't know. The, the experimentation was good, but that video, it was especially like releasing that and then that Contra video coming out on the same day was sort of a big eye opener for me, obviously in the sense that it helped me come out as trans, but doubly so in terms of making videos, it sort of was a hint to me that I was going in slightly the wrong direction, especially because when it comes to social justice topics, I get really indignant and like self-justified and sort of soapboxy. I get really emotional and act kind of superior when I'm talking that shit. And it's really, I feel like it's just like not my place unless the topic is like really, really well suited and really clear cut such that my kind of self-righteousness is justified in that regard, which is why like, the, I feel like the topic of the Bechdel test is pretty easy because, you know, it's the fucking Bechdel test. Who cares? So anyway, six days later, I stumbled onto a video essay about a transgender focused anime, and this felt like what I can only describe as a strange cosmic coincidence. You can see the mixed feelings I have about the issue where I start the thread saying I'm not trans and then eventually saying I don't know. I also describe a time some weeks ago when I saw a cute skirt at a store and almost had an emotional breakdown because I wouldn't let myself think what it meant that I wanted it. So the video I'm talking about is Empathy Through Animation by The Botanic Romantic, and it's about a anime called Wandering Sun. And I haven't seen that anime. Actually, at this point, I've watched the first few episodes and I need to finish it. But I saw this video essay and was really impressed by it. So here's the thread that I wrote about that. Here's a great video about an anime I've never heard of that I will be watching shortly. I'm going to vomit some thoughts in the thread about gender and transness real quick. I'm not trans. I've never felt particularly uncomfortable identifying as a man, but ellipsis. I have always felt the incredible inadequacy of the boundaries of what being a man means. I remember putting makeup on as a child and being scolded by my dad because that's not what men do. Oh, we'll be getting back to that momentarily. I remember staring longingly at women's clothes in stores because of the colors and shapes that were so much nicer than men's clothes. As a teen, I developed body dysphoria that never went away. I hated myself for the weight I put on, the shape I took. I would fantasize about cutting my gut off and revealing the thinner me that lived underneath. I would shave my chest until I bled and hope that the subsequent pimples would kill the hair follicles. I was a gross and morbid teen. That's very true. I developed major depression, which never went away, and I said to myself, this is what happens to teens. It's just hormones. The immediate rawness of my self-hatred did eventually fade, but it never went away. Lately, I've been reading more about the trans experience about body dysphoria, and it's opened old wounds. I see so much of myself reflected in this media, that, and it scares me half to death. ContraPoint's film about dysphoria brought me to tears because it expresses something I thought only I had ever felt. And this got me wondering what that experience means for me. I said at the start of this thread that I'm not trans, but I really don't know. I've had a complicated relationship with the LGBT spectrum. In high school, I thought I was straight, but maybe could be bi? Then I decided I liked men for sex and women for relationships. Then I decided I was gay. Then I decided I was asexual. Then I decided I was asexual by romantic. Then I decided I was demisexual. 
I look back at this 10-year process and it occurs to me that my inability to find a satisfactory answer should be a major signpost to me. A few weeks ago, I was at the store and saw a really cute skirt that I wanted, but I couldn't even bring myself to walk close to it. I circled the store several times just to walk past it again, and I feel ashamed and confused and stupid the whole time. It's just clothes. Who cares? Why is this dumb circle of fabric making me want to cry in public? I've mentioned crying twice in this thread. Funny, because I didn't really cry either time. I haven't cried much since I was a teen, certainly not after my mom died. I barely cried at all when my dad died a year ago. I used to cry all the time. It strikes me that this coincides with when I resign myself to traditional gender roles. I feel so much emotion, but I never cry. I wish I could. I feel like if I could just cry a few, for a few hours, maybe I'd be alright. But I'm so scared of expressing emotion when anyone is nearby, because what if they judge? What if they think I'm putting on a show for sympathy? Hell, is that what I'm doing? Am I just performing an invented misery? The specter of performance has always haunted my ability to deal with my depression, my ability to express emotion. When I start to cry, I inevitably think, I must look like an idiot right now. What are these noises I'm making? This is really dumb. I don't let myself feel anything. It just gets undercut by the voice of my observing self who has never let a good feel go unpunished. All of these things feel connected to me. I've tried for so long to figure out what is wrong with me. And the most frightening possibility of all is that I'm just a broken human, somebody incapable of non-self-destructive acts. Someone people will look back on and say, he led a troubled life. It was almost a mercy in the end. Ugh. I have described my depression as a war with my body, a body that refuses to get healthy, refuses to get sleep, refuses to work. I just remembered a very specific thing I used to say as a teen. I wish people could see who I am on the inside first. And it's true that all my friends say they thought I was a pretentious asshole the first time they met me. Then at some point they realized I actually meant it, and I guess that made me endearing. And to this day, while walking around, I feel like I have to apologize for how I look. Sorry, I look like a weird stalker, everyone. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me or what might fix me. I'm skeptical of all of it. Sorry for the anticlimactic end. And this thread is also from the 27th of July. A few days ago, I switched gears from panicked, fearful, ignorant whimpering to, hey, maybe I should fucking read about this. So I fucking read about it and realized that a lot of my reticence to even consider the idea of being trans came from the fact that I had never really seen the story of a trans person who started like me, overweight, hairy, and not particularly certain. You can see the remnant of this research phase in this single tweet, which reads, Hi internet, I don't give a fuck what women think about my hair, I just want to know how to get rid of it without hurting myself, thanks. And that was on the 12th of August, wow. This ruminated in my head for a bit before I talked it over with a longtime friend who is also trans and his general lack of surprise came as a relief to me. So after an afternoon of nervousness and uncertainty, I told my roommates, after which I felt comfortable finally tweeting openly about it, and the entire story is right here. So this is from the 13th of August. It's been a weird couple days because Nazis have taken over and people died, but I also think I realized that I'm trans. The relief of that realization has felt very inappropriate given current affairs, but that's kind of been where my head's at. I've basically been binge reading first-hand accounts and saying, yep, that's me, until I couldn't pretend it was something else anymore. I told my roommates by making them pause Pokemon and saying, sorry, I think I might be transgender, waves hands, I'm leaving the room now. 
I'm thinking I will do a very painful personal video about it because the lack of such a thing is why it took me so long in the first place. And hey, I did do exactly that. I love that coming out story because that's very much like what it was like where I was sitting in my room and this was actually the second day that I had planned to do this where the first day I sort of chickened out but I was sitting in my room like nervous as hell and like my heart was racing and I didn't know what to do it's like if I say this it becomes real and I don't know if it's true or not but I feel like I have to and this was within days of realizing that I was trans which tells you a lot about how I am as a person like when I when I decide something, it's like, all right, it's decided. I'm going for it, which I think has sort of been a theme of this podcast. But I finally, like, you know, worked myself up and I walked outside and they're watching, uh, I think, the Griffin McElroy's Nuzlocke run of Pokemon. And I paced around going from the hallway of my bedroom to the kitchen back and forth which passes right by where the living room is. And finally I stopped and said, Hey guys, can you pause Pokemon for a second? And they paused it and everybody sort of looked at me and I like stood in front of the TV and like paced around and I didn't know what to say. And finally it's like, I, so, uh, 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 I think I'm transgender. And then I was like, uh, uh, all right, I'm going to leave the room now. And I walked back into my room and uh, my roommate, Steven, just sort of yelled back. It's like, what are your pronouns? And I just screamed, I don't know yet. And that was it. So that was my coming out story where I just went into the room and screamed it at my friends and then left because I didn't I couldn't face like what they had to say. And of course, they're cool about it. But anyway, so here's another Twitter thread from the 13th of August that is going into more detail about a lot of this and ends on one of like the more important thoughts that I had in this process. It's weird this emotion I'm feeling. When I thought I was gay or bi or ace, I thought, oh God, what a burden. How do I do this? I don't know if this feels right, but it makes more sense than anything else. But reading about transgender people, talking to them about it, the diagnosis doesn't feel like a burden. I know the dangers and challenges. I know I have the worst body for it. I know the suicide rates, all that shit. But it still feels like something I can do. It feels like the thing I need to do. How is that? How does that make sense? Fuck me. I think I have something to live for now. And like that was the big revelation was why am I not terrified by this the way that I feel like I should be? And it was because oh, hey, this is this is what my body's been trying to tell me this whole time. And now I'm kind of aimed in the right direction, which is fucking wild to me. And at last, this thread from the 14th of August. Thing I said for years while questioning my sexuality. If I could become a woman, I would, but I'm definitely not transgender. I never said that, like, literally. It was just a thought that I had a lot of times in a vague sense that was not verbalized that directly. It's probably true that other people in a similar situation find that perfectly logical, but it was definitely denial for me. Part of it was I never saw examples of trans people with a story like mine. I only ever heard the born in the wrong body narrative. That doesn't reflect my experience, although if I wrote it out on paper, you'd say that's exactly your experience. I've never felt comfortable in my skin, but I always put it down to hair and weight, which isn't wrong. 
I never knew I wasn't cis. I just knew I was fucked up somehow and spent a lot of years trying to figure it out. Experimented with a lot of identities, had a multitude of disastrous relationships, and I couldn't understand why nothing worked right. I legit concluded that I just can't be in a relationship with anyone because I don't know how to make them work. I concluded that I was asexual because sex didn't make sense with anybody, no matter how much I wanted it to. I kept thinking, if I find the right constellation of identities and people, I'll be fixed. Turns out, like a really bad after-school special, the problem was me all along. My entire life I've been addressing symptoms, not causes, not letting myself get too close to the root because of how much it hurts. But finally, just fucking Googling for stories like mine, learning about LHR, etc., suddenly it's like, oh fuck, it's not impossible. And I'm worried this is just another identity I'll wear out in a year or two, but like, it really doesn't feel that way? It's like I've been trying to put together a shattered 3D prism my whole life, desperately trying to get a sense for the whole picture. But as close as I seemed to get, the prism kept falling apart. Nothing made me feel better. No solution lasted. But with this, it's like for the first time, all the pieces of that prism have linked up and I'm just slapping my forehead like, oh, of fucking course I'm trans. What the hell was I thinking? And I'm still not 100% that this is the thing either. I could just be blowing smoke up my ass over nothing. But it sure as shit doesn't feel like it. For the first time, I feel like I actually understand what the fuck is wrong with me. Anyway, this is why representation is important. An absence of media presence can cause hell for a confused kid turned 20-something. So I think this is what makes like, coming out as trans so much easier for people today, where I had the two or three days where I was just like miserable, realizing, like, oh shit, I might be trans, but what can I possibly do about it? There's nothing that works for someone like me, because, again, I had never seen stories that reflected my story, and I was just like, but I'm this hairy guy. There's, the, I just can't do it. There's no way for me to do it. And then I found out about laser hair removal, and then I found out about the ways that hormone replacement therapy affects body hair, and it was like, oh, oh, well, maybe that I, I can do it. And that was like the key that unlocked the door for me, where it was like I was finally up against this feeling again after years. I, I probably faced it a lot in high school of like, there's something that I want to be, but it feels literally impossible for me to become that. So it's easier to not acknowledge it as a possibility in the first place. So in July and August, there was this feeling like, I was up against that door again and like, I want to be this, but there's no way for me to do it. And I don't know why I'm letting myself thinking, think about it. And then I decided, you know what? I'm going to just put this sadness on hold and I'm going to do some fucking research. And then of course, in doing research, I discovered that my story isn't all that abnormal and that it's not impossible for me to make that transition. And once that possibility opened up, it was like, oh, well then I am trans. <laughs> Once I let myself feel like it could become, it could be a possibility for me, it was like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I want, of course. So again, that's why representation is important. That's why doing your own research is important. Now, I'm not going to read all these posts. I think I'm going to read just this one and then I'm going to go to that poem. So this post is called Depression, Doubt, and Dysphoria. Let me see when this was posted. August 17th. There you go. It's Wednesday night, and I'm back to feeling like shit. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know, etc., etc. Repeat ad infinitum until your brain melts out of your ears. 
there's a part of me that's like, why the fuck do you want to be transgender? To which the natural response is, I fucking don't. But I don't think I have a choice. Except I do have a choice. I can choose to ignore it. I can pretend this whole business was just a weird, dumb fantasy hallucination and that the simplest explanation is that I'm overweight and depressed and generally a broken human. Convenient that broken human isn't a diagnosable, treatable condition. I've lived the last 28 years of my life in ignorance, denial, of myself. What I've learned in the last few days as I've shaved, cleaned up, tried on new clothes is that I have never taken good care of myself. If I didn't commit suicide first, heart disease would certainly do the trick sooner than later, as it did for both my parents. Part of me wants to chalk this up to depression, to anxiety, all the fun buzzwords, but I look back and see teenage me hitting puberty and suddenly becoming a tremendously depressed, self-deprecating, and misanthropic kid obsessing over becoming a werewolf. My closest friend from that time, the one who guided me in those strange days, has come out as trans. I don't know if this means anything to people desperate to transform into something else, something transcendent and sublime, eventually realizing that they are themselves transgender. He was the first person I talked to when the realization dawned on me, and he was both unsurprised and equally amused by the irony of our current predicaments. I've long described my depression as a war against my body. Everything good I do for myself, it seemingly has an allergic reaction to. Relationships, medication, diet, exercise, nothing would ever fix the problem, and my body rejected the attempt to the point of me relapsing as hard as I could in the opposite direction. Fun to consider that many of the stories I wrote back then were about people with split consciousness, not necessarily multiple personalities, but certainly a driver and a passenger, the driver often being emotionally broken and the passenger being sarcastically with it. Today I shaved my beard and ugh. I don't like hair, but the beard is something I let grow because it's painful to shave and hides the fact that I have an oblong balloon face with a mouth that is both too small and too big. I look in the mirror and think, fuck me, man, I'll never pass. No amount of work I would do will ever fix this. What even is the point? And I think, well, it doesn't matter what anybody else sees. It matters that I feel comfortable in my skin. And I can convince myself that's true for just long enough to get out of the mirror, but then I try to imagine myself in a cute dress or with nice hair, and it's a great fantasy when I can believe it, but my hair is thinning and my proportions are all wrong in a dozen different ways. I realize my reaction isn't a lack of desire to look good in a dress, it's a nascent belief that I could never look good in a dress, therefore even letting myself think I could is torture of the mind. Better to never let the thought occur than to be unrealistically naive, right? It's that kind of thinking that has kept me from seeing myself as trans for almost two decades. Do I want to look cute in a dress? Yes. Will looking cute in a dress make me feel better about myself? Yes. I also know that HRT sometimes stops and even reverses male pattern baldness, and my thinning hair isn't so thin that it couldn't recover. I'm also a weak... I'm also a week on a ketogenic diet, which is the only way I've ever known to successfully lose weight, and this time, instead of a vague get healthy on the horizon, I have a, that platonic ideal of a cute dress to look forward to. I have a suede coat that belonged to the father of my sister-in-law. It was given to me the first time I stuck to keto for a few months, almost five years ago now, and I never got quite thin enough for it to fit well. This time, I will. This last Oklahoma winter, I'll be thin enough to wear that coat, and I'll do it wearing a fucking sick-ass skirt. <laughs> that scares the shit out of me, but not because I don't want to do it. 
Today I got a scale, 256.6 pounds. My goal is sub 200 by summer. Tomorrow I take my measurements and figure out what kind of clothes I need. Friday, underwear. Man, so it's funny reading this because I did get thin enough to wear that suede jacket. I didn't wear it with a skirt. So yeah, but that's fair, I think. And my goal of sub 200 by summer... So I've been feeling really down because my weight loss has stalled, but I'm stalling at like sub 210. So the goal of 200 by summer, I'm probably going to be below 200 within a couple of weeks. I fucking hope I the reason why I stalled is that I had a week where I kind of let myself get back on carbs for a while and just sort of wasn't as strict about it because I had my first laser session and I kind of wanted to celebrate and I'd already been craving some food. So I finally let myself do that. But I think I went a little bit too long. And then a couple of days ago, I went to a Italian place and had a pizza because I wanted pizza. But now I'm back on board and I'm at 208.4. And yeah, so all of those things that I laid out for myself have kind of become true, which is not what I was expecting to see. That's interesting. So, okay, I'm going to read this poem and this will be the last thing. Trigger warning very much. This is talking about a lot of really dark stuff. And I wrote this way before I realized I was trans. Uh, Yeah, I wrote it in 2015 and I performed it at an open mic, which I went to this open mic a lot back in the day. I haven't gone as much recently just because I feel weird that I only ever want to write poetry when I know I'm going to perform it. I feel like that shouldn't stop me, but it does. But anyway, the big thing with this particular performance was that I had a button-up shirt that I was wearing, and there's a particular moment where I rip the shirt off and throw it to the ground and sort of just stand there shirtless. And that was horribly frightening to me, and I've kind of tried to block out that memory, even though everybody who was there has told me that that was like a a really powerful performance. I don't know if I agree with them. But anyway, here's this poem. It's very dark. And then, yeah, so... I'll, I'll try to do my best impersonation of myself at the time. When I was six, I went into my parents' room while they were watching TV and played with my mother's makeup. I remember slathering nail polish on my hands and putting a crude red circle of lipstick around my mouth. I laughed. I'm a loud laugher because I don't believe anymore in holding back my joy. And it was funny, me in the mirror looking like a bad cartoon clown, but it was flirtatious too. It was the first time in my life I'd seen that my appearance was flexible. A bit of colored mud and lacquer, suddenly you're a whole new person. My parents must have heard me laughing because they came in and it wasn't the big scene I've been priming you to expect. They laughed and they took a picture or two. Mom cleaned off my face and everything went back to normal. But my dad sat me down a little later and explained to me that men, men do not wear makeup. Makeup is for women so that they can look pretty. On a man, it just looks stupid. It's emasculating. It makes you look wrong. And ultimately, this was worse than if he yelled and screamed at me because then I might have rebelled and worn makeup anyway. Instead, I took it as a fact of life. Men don't wear makeup. Men should never wear makeup. When they do, they look, well, let's be real, they look like women. And what shame is worse for a man than to appear feminine? Just like that, the fresh idea of my exterior's fluidity crystallized into the opposite. 
When I was 14, I skulked into the men's locker room behind two dozen older sports-playing fellows. All of them were either skinny or confident, and I was neither. I shrunk myself behind them, trailed to the locker where I'd stashed the pants and shirt I hastily tugged on over my sweaty shorts. I watched them from my place in the corner as all the guys stripped naked and showered, shameless, unafraid, muscled arms and hairless chests. I tried not to look at them, but I always did. They were beautiful. They played sports with ease. They made jokes and got good grades. They all had girlfriends and plans for the weekend. They had bodies like a perfect prayer to the god of the beautiful people. I watched them and tried to make myself as small as possible because I felt ashamed to be in the same room as them. At home, I would avert my eyes from the mirror before taking a shower. When I looked, it just made me angry. Look at that belly, that pasty flesh, that sickly coat of hair across your chest, the flab under your chin, the fat around your fingers, the girth of your cheeks. That creature in the mirror there is not me. That isn't who I am. The others, all those beautiful people, that's what they see when they look at me. No wonder they treat me like trash. No wonder they laugh in my face when I try to talk to them. I'm an ugly person. But I just know there's something valuable inside if I could just get them to see it. I would dream of peeling away the skin on my stomach until a perfect body was all that remained. Every time a movie would use a hairy, sweaty, fat guy as the butt of a joke, I'd laugh, I'd laugh loud because it was funny, and I'd go home and spend four hours in the bathroom shaving every inch of my skin, first with a set of clippers and then with a safety razor, trying to shave every inch of myself so I could look like them, shaving until every pore on my stomach was on fire, until drops of blood dotted the surface of my skin, willing the roots of my hair to die and never come back. Anything to get me closer to those beautiful people, anything to make me someone somebody could find aesthetically pleasing. When I was 19, I kissed my girlfriend and told her our time was up. I told her it wasn't working anymore, that we needed to see other people, that it wasn't her, it was me. I held her in my arms as she cried, and I just wanted her to leave. Because it wasn't me, it was her. Because she had an amazing personality, she was so smart, so well-read, but she was fat. As much as I tried to lie to myself and say she was beautiful inside, I knew she was one of the ugly ones and it disgusted me to be around her. I cried as I told her how sorry I was, and when she left, I stopped crying and started laughing, and I laughed loud because I don't believe in holding back my joy. I laughed because I saw what a fucking hypocrite I was, how disgusting and destructive and evil I was behaving. I knew intellectually that that was... I knew intellectually that this whole beautiful people, ugly people dichotomy was a crock of shit, but I still felt so much relief that I didn't have to see her anymore see her body anymore, her body which was, like mine, imperfect. When she attempted suicide four months later, I waited with her family and friends and I asked her why she did it, and she said it was because she just felt so ugly, so unfit for the world, such a sore thumb, and I hugged her and told her she was beautiful. I didn't know what I was saying, I couldn't know, couldn't see the ugly facts that were flickering in the air between us like ashes from a brush fire. She whispered to me, yes, I am beautiful, but it doesn't have anything to do with you. When I was 26, I stood in the bathroom and took my clothes off. I looked at my body in the mirror, the same body I always tried to ignore. I ate well and I exercised regularly. I tried any number of fad diets and programs and I was still fat. For all I'd grown inside, I was still the same on the outside. I thought about that six-year-old me smearing grease paint on his face and laughing. I wanted to laugh too because it was a funny memory, but I couldn't help but remember the shame I'd felt at learning the damage I had done to my proud masculinity. 
I thought about those naked boys in the locker room with their perfect bodies. I thought about the one boy in high school I had a crush on for years. I remembered asking him out, remembered him telling me I'd consider it if he just lost the pudge. I thought about Michelangelo's David, that perfect Adonis frozen in time for all to see. All the statues, all the pictures, all the films that show these beautiful people in the best light. They never suggest the passage of time. How many moments in life do any of us truly look our best? How many years do we put into the masks we only wear for minutes at a time? When I'm 36, will I still be looking in the mirror wishing I was someone else? Will I still be putting that wall between myself and the so-called beautiful people? Is this temporary flesh still the concrete tomb around my image of myself? Will it take me so long to see that I is flexible, I is boundless, I is not their gender roles, their weight distribution, the fullness of the hair, or the color of the paint on their nails? No, I is whomever the fuck I choose to be, no matter the looks on a stranger's face, no matter the insipid hatred buried in the hearts of misguided human beings, whether I look like a clown, a drag queen, or God forbid, a woman, I refuse, I refuse to hold back my joy, I refuse to sit alone and cry when I can grease my eyes, paint my nails, rip my shirt off and laugh in the face of every closed-minded shitheel who crosses my path and dares to act like beauty is anything less than soul deep. This is my body, this is my beauty, this is my joy, and this, I hope, is a lesson to all of us that the power of the beautiful people is just a bad joke. We keep telling ourselves on the days we feel like shit. I like to laugh, and I laugh loud. But when it comes to this joke, I'm done laughing. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like what I do here, maybe consider leaving a review on iTunes and all of the other places where you get podcasts. It really helps other people discover this show. If you want to go a little bit farther in your support, maybe go to patreon.com slash LTAS and pledge to give me a bit of money once a month. If nothing else, you should follow me there because I post about the videos I'm working on and new episodes of the podcast and all kinds of other stuff. And there's all sorts of good like reward tiers for different amounts of money that you decide to give me. It's just a lot of fun. I love Patreon. It's a great way to help artists make a living making art in this world. If you have questions or stories or anything really that you want me to talk about or read on the show, send me an email, transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at HMSNoFun and also at TransQPodcast. The cover is by Emily Bumgarner. The music that you heard is by Insane in the Rain Music. Links in the description. Thanks as always for listening and I'll see you again soon enough.